Well, good morning. And uh, I think you'll agree with me that no one in this world is that happy. <laughs> Especially when the alarm clock goes off. In our house, the house of five, there's one out of the five of us that consistently gets up singing and bebopping and jumping around. And that's our oldest son, Davis. Jamie would be sometimes in that category. But me and Julia and my other son, Drew, we're grumpy. And we are not singing and dancing and jumping around. We have not found our happiness at the beginning of the day. And to be honest with you, sometimes the entire day goes by before we find our level of happiness that might get us anywhere in that scenario. We begin this morning a series, a preaching series, on the pursuit of happiness. And I'll kick us off. Pastor Michelle and Pastor Matt will follow the next two weeks with a very capable preaching uh, text, all rooted in the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. But I think you'll agree with me that the pursuit of happiness or a discussion dialogue series on the pursuit of happiness is something that should probably get the attention and maybe tweak the interest of every one of us. Because all the survey polls, uh, many of the discussion and the talk shows, whether it's on radio or on TV, are centered around the way in which we have invested our life Time, resources, relationships, and just trying to get happy. Just trying to find happiness. But you know exactly what those polls say, that despite our best efforts, our biggest investments, maybe our best attempts, happiness just seems to be just a little bit out of our grasp most of the day, most of the week, most of our lives. So for a Christian congregation, for people pursuing to live in the grace of God and to be, to be walking in step with Christ Jesus our Lord, to think about being happy, to find out how we are to live happy or can live happy, and to, to then apply that knowledge and truth to our lives is something that we should be leading the pack in, right? So let's start with a proverb this morning, an African proverb. It's a story that goes like this. There was once a very rich chief who lived in a village. He had everything at his disposal, was the richest man he had ever met or heard of, and all of the people in his tribe and in the surrounding tribes knew it. Yet, every day, he admitted that he wasn't happy. And every day, he would look for ways to get just a little bit more happiness, and he would, he would summon people both from his clan and from surrounding clans and tribes to come and tell him how he could be more happy or how he could attain a higher level of happiness. One day someone came to him and said, Oh, chief, to be happy, to get happier in life, all you have to do is look around and see the moon and the stars and the sun and all of the beauty that is around you and know that everything that you see is under your authority. The chief said, that doesn't make me happy because I really didn't create these things and I really can't control these things. That doesn't make me happy. That makes me a little scared. That makes me unhappy. And someone else came to the chief and said, chief, I know what will make you happy. Music. Assemble the greatest orchestra, the greatest musicians, the, the greatest choir and singers that you possibly can and allow them to sing in your presence constantly all day long and all night long, and just the melody and the beauty of the music will make you happy. The chief said, that doesn't make me happy. That makes me jealous because I have no musical ability. That just makes me mad. 
I think that's where Michelle was going a little earlier <laughs> when she added the two of us in our musical abilities or lack thereof. Someone finally came to the chief and said, Chief, what you need to do to be happy or more happy in your life is to find the happiest person in the world and take their shirt. So the chief said, that's what I'll do. So he assembles his men, some that may have been in his army, some that were just wise men that advised him and said, I want you to search this countryside, everywhere you can possibly think of, go to that tribe, and when you find a happy man, bring him to me because I want his shirt. That will make me happy. They went everywhere, mountains, valleys, out by the ocean, into the deserts, looking all around for the happiest person. They finally find someone in a very, very far remote village living a very simple life, really a life of poverty, even in comparison to that chief. But he said, I am the happiest man in the world. And so the chief's advisors took this man and carried him as quickly as they could back to the presence of the chief. And they said, chief, we have found the happiest man and we've brought him to you and now you can take his shirt. And the chief said, yes, I want your shirt. That will make me happy. I will be able to clothe myself in your happiness. Give me your shirt. And it was only then that the men who had brought this happy man and the chief that had seen this happy man and listened to his testimony recognized that the man wasn't wearing a shirt. Now, this is probably not the moral of that story, but the analogy is that we should be very careful in trying to find happiness in things or places or people. And we also should be very careful to know that it's a difficult thing, maybe an impossible thing, to think that we could take someone else's happiness or what makes someone else happy and apply it to our life and find that same level or a higher level of happiness for our life. Now, I want you to look to someone near you, if you came to church with someone, or turn around to someone that's a stranger, and just tell them or listen to them about what makes them happy or makes you happy. Do that real quick. This is the greatest seat in the house right now. Because some of the men are blushing and preparing to run out to Jared Jewelers later on today <laughs> to make up for what you just said to your wife or to the person near to you. When I think of happiness and what makes me happiness, I think about the relationships that God has given me and blessed me with, the people that have come in and out of my life, the people I know from afar and the people that I keep in contact with and even new people that enrich my life and maybe in some degree or some way allows me to enrich theirs. When I think of happiness, I think about food and eating a kolache with my daughter on Sunday morning while my boys are away having paintball wars at a teen retreat for First Church of the Nazarene. When I think about happiness, I think about the things, new cars, new clothes, new houses, trips, vacations. When I think about happiness, I think about Memories of special people, special events, 
special times. When I think about happiness, I even think about something that's kind of a new passion. It's, it's kind of hard to tell, I know, but I think of running. I enjoy running and being out walking and hanging out with my giant Great Dane. I think about music. Despite my limitations there, there are some forms and some artists who are musicians that bring me great happiness, and I can listen to them over and over and over. And they can record hee-haw songs, and I will buy it because their ability and their voice soothes me and makes me happy. When I think of happy, I, I think about something I saw in the Olympics. I think it was on Monday night or Sunday night this last week. A Canadian downhill skier wins gold. Adam Bildo, I think is his name. The first person that, that is there to greet him at the edge of, of, of the gate there at the bottom of this mountain is his father, I think, and he embraces him. But almost as quickly as he embraces his father, he releases him and goes two people over to his brother, who is an adult, who has cerebral palsy, and is there in his deformity, happy, laughing, congratulating, ecstatic at his brother. And this gold medal Olympian, who has just won, I think, his second gold medal, or at least his second medal in a row at a Winter Olympics, is not out looking for an endorsement immediately. He's not saying, I'm going to Disney World. He's not, he's not using that opportunity to get a date with the hottest other Olympian from another country. He is embracing his brother and then bragging on him and saying, my joy, my happiness is in looking into my brother's face when he sees that not my goal, our goal for four years has been achieved. Uh, parenthetically, I, I saw an interview with him. I think it was the next day on the Today Show. And they were asking Adam about his brother. And it was, it's one of the greatest responses I've ever seen. Not about an Olympic champion, but just about brotherly love. And they were asking him about his brother and what he means to him. And he said, I look into my brother's face. And on the days when we're not at an Olympic champion or even a world champion event, when I'm scheduled to practice or work out or give attention to my diet or my rehabilitation and I don't feel like it or I'm tired or it's snowing cold outside, I think about my brother and what he would give to have one day of workout in full capacity. And then he said this, and I was just blown away by it. He says, because my brother would have been the best skier in this event that ever put on skis. He has the heart of a champion, and he would have broke every record I would have ever thought about making and beat me off that stage every time. I was blown away at how much this gold medal champion had invested his happiness in the life and in the approval and just in the presence of being with his brother. So what is happiness? How do we define it? Happiness is a mental or an emotional state of well-being that might range from contentment to jubilation. Now, those are two different poles, if you will, in the happiness range. To be content with something is to be, eh, that's okay. That's pretty good. I'm satisfied. But to be overjoyed. To be full of joy and jubilation over something means that we may have difficulty expressing in words what that means to us or what that event or possession or person means to us and how they change our life. It's an emotional state of well-being, mental state of well-being. 
that, may, that ranges. And it ranges from one day to the next sometimes. And it ranges from one minute to the next sometimes. Happiness, whether it's a relationship or a food item or another item or a journey, trip, or whatever it is, is about peaking and changing and twisting our emotions to make us feel either content or joyful or somewhere in the middle. How do we, how do we get happy? How do we find there? I, I, I want to try and get us in, in our mind, uh, develop for us an image of, of thinking about happiness. If you're a mathematician, there's, there's a... There's a uh, an algebraic equation. And when I put this on the slide, I remembered what everything was. But the O has to do with optimal weather. The N has to do with, well, I'm not going to make things up for you. I'll just say that this is the way that a particular person was able to designate the day of the year that we could be the happiest because it has to do with the way the weather is and the way that we're able to get outside and enjoy nature and the way that we're able to express and experience those things that might bring either contentment or joy into our life. That is the way some people think about happiness. But other people think in different ways. Let's go to the next one. Some people think about it in terms of physical or sexual gratification, things that make us happy. And you don't have to look at, at this particular diagram. You could Google it yourself, or if George was here, I would say Bing it yourself, to see what type of things brings happiness and the way in which that may bring someone happiness. And we would then turn to a moment of prayer for people who find their only joy and contentment in that type of behavior. Let's go to the next one. Some people think of happiness not only of being outdoors, but of, of climbing or, or trying to make their way to the top, trying to, trying to get beyond where they are and move up, and just, just the joy of the journey makes them happy. Let's go to the next one. Some people find joy in their work. I want to ask you to raise your hand. But statistics would tell me that about 25% of us in this room are workaholics. We are, we are obsessed and addicted to our work. And when we're not at work, we're not happy. I'm not one of those people. I may be on the opposite end of things. Let's go to the next one. Nine happiness boosts. This is from happyologist.com, I think. Smiling, be kind, exercise, be grateful, invest in growth, be passionate, commit to goals, be social, savor things. These are tips on the way in which we can think about that relationship or that food item or that experience or whatever it is and we can kind of perpetuate its presence or its memory into our life, into our experience to make us happy. Let's go to the next one. This is a, a, a diagram of, of the way of, of our social needs, our psychological needs from physiological to safety to love being to esteem to self-actualization, and we can have a discussion about this at a later time if you want to dive deeper into this. But, but when we begin to analyze what makes us happy and how we are happy, we need to think about those things that, that have eternal and those things that have temporal happiness or joy or application to our life. Let's go to the next one. This, I think, was probably written by a college student somewhere just trying to make it out of grad school, uh, trying to diagram happiness and having a sense and purpose in the world, learning new things, feeling a sense of understanding, relaxation. This may be a good exercise for, for you to do this afternoon or at another time to try and figure out what you are allowing to make yourself happy and draw happiness in the middle and begin to diagram it out and, 
and name those things and identify those things and later on allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life and in your heart to see if they're appropriate or not appropriate. Let's go to the next one. Happiness. Which way do we go? Where is happiness found? How do we apply uh, our attention and our energy to put the first foot, our first foot forward and on that road and in that pursuit of being happy? Which way do we go? And in this room, every one of us would have a different opinion. Not only on what makes us happy, but on how we find it and how we get there. Can we lose happiness? We can lose it as quickly as we find it, can't we? That's kind of that middle ground of being content and being full of joy. That as quickly as we can feel happy or experience that emotion of happiness, it can go away from us and we find discouragement, depression, defeat, etc., etc., etc. Why do we need happiness? Well, the answer, of course, is to be happy. Is to feel that, that sense of Something inside us bubbling up that, that shows that our life, our energy, our investment is worthwhile, has meaning. It's something that, that gets us past kind of the deadness of the moment or of the day or of that particular life experience to find that happiness or joy that maybe for a minute takes our mind off of the mess that either our life or our world is in the middle of. We can find it. We can lose it. But we have to have it. We need it. What does it cost? Well, it depends. It, it depends on how we value certain things that make us happy. If it's a relationship, that may be very, very, very expensive. If it's food, that may not be quite so expensive. It could be a cheap bag of Doritos as we drive down the road. But happiness typically is not free. It costs us something, whether it's money or the investment of our time and energy, or our willingness to be vulnerable with someone to love them and allow us to love us as we are. Happiness. We pursue it. We find it. We lose it. We give everything for it. We long to have it. And when we think we found some happiness, well, we just then want just a little bit more, don't we? Or we want it to last just a little bit longer then it's going to last. Well, everything I've said, I guess, so far has really had to do with kind of the human side of happiness, the flesh side of happiness, if you will. And you didn't really come this morning to, to hear a very humanistic-centered speech on happiness, I hope. I hope we came this morning to not only hear and think about what makes us happy on the outside in a temporal way or fleshly way or human way, but rather we come to hear from what from God's word to what he says and the vision he casts for us to be happy. For while being happy in this life is not sinful, it's not wrong, finding happiness, even pursuing it and purchasing it with food, relationships, experiences, travel, none of that's wrong in and of itself. We know that it is temporal. It's fleeting. It requires continual investment and upkeep on our part. But the vision that God has for happiness for us is almost the opposite of all the things that we've talked about and discussed this morning as far as finding it, paying for it, holding on to it. In Scripture, we could, we could start in Genesis and, and move all the way through to the end of the Scriptures, and we would find not just 
language and, and songs or prayers or poems about being happy, but we would find many stories. I think the gospel writer Luke in chapter 1 and chapter 2 gives some of the most important and impressive stories or images of pursuing happiness or people who did find happiness in a godly sense. Remember Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 has to do with the announcement of Jesus' birth and coming, and then also in chapter 2 has to do with the presentation of Jesus at the temple. And there's four or five people who when they hear the news or they see the baby, the scriptures use the language that, that shows that they were in a state of happiness that they could have never bought or found or stolen. But only by the gift of God and the very blessing of God were they able to see and experience and sense that level of happiness. You have Mary, the mother of Jesus, who when the angel comes upon her, it says that she was greatly afraid, as you can imagine she was, but quickly turns her fear into a song even to the point of saying, I will be called blessed for generations, really in all generations, for I have submitted myself to the will of God to give birth to the Son of God. We hear her cousin Elizabeth, who when Mary comes into her presence, her womb begins to spin. The baby inside of her, John the Baptist, begins to spin and jump for joy because the, the, the mother of our Lord, the very presence of the Messiah has come into the presence of the one carrying the prophet who would announce his ministry. And the scriptures in Luke chapter 1 says Elizabeth was overcome with joy and jubilation. We find that when Jesus is, is taken into the temple after his birth, that there's two people, Anna and Simeon, who have long waited their place around the temple, waiting on the promise to be fulfilled that a child would come and lead them. And both in their old age, probably, probably both over 80, maybe even in their 90s, sees this baby, not knowing who he is and who had brought him because he did not come in an impressive way. They sensed immediately by the witness of the Holy Spirit that they were in the presence of the Messiah, the one true and living Lord. And in Luke chapter 2, he expresses in a profound way that they found the joy, even in their old age, to sense that God had been true to his word and fulfilled his promise. And their life and our world would never, ever be the same. In the Sermon on the Mount, if we are reading and studying, we know that in chapter 5 of Matthew's gospel, there's about... Nine or ten verses that begins with the phrase, blessed are you. If we were to, to dig deeper and, and really dig deep into the word blessed, the Greek word there is makarios, which really has more to do or, or is better explained as happy. Not happy, though, in an emotional way or in a mental way, but a more balanced and a more, more full description or definition of happiness. This is what Makarios means, as it's used in Matthew chapter 5, Luke also used it in his Sermon on the Plain. In that way, it's used as the ultimate well-being and distinctive joy of those who share in the salvation of the kingdom of God that has come. It's the ultimate. It's the fulfillment. It's the complete well-being of those who share and sense the salvation of the Lord that has come in the kingdom of God. Now, I can tell how impressed all of you are with that definition. I can tell how moved you are in thinking about But let me tell you what that means and why that should impress you. That sense of happiness, 
that fulfillment of, a, of, the, of the well-being of, the, of one who has experienced salvation is a description of those who sense the complete work of God in our life through the saving grace of Jesus Christ, not just way long distance in the future when everything is settled in the end of days, but in this day here and now, in our life, in our church, in our world. But not just in the future and not just in the present, but in the past. I, I don't know about you, but some of the things that bring me the greatest amounts of grief and pain in my life aren't in tomorrow or in today. I've kind of got those things under my control or figured out, if you will. It's in the past. And to think about someone finding their happiness in God in the well-being of the one who has brought and offered us full salvation, past, present, and future, indicates to me and to us through Matthew's gospel that blessed are those, or happy are those, who has settled or defined their happiness in this one thing and one thing only. The power of God to save all things, all man, and all time. It's a movement of our definition of happiness from today and right now and what makes us feel good to yesterday, today, and forever to what testifies and expresses the glory of God in our world and in our life. It's the fulfillment of the promise of God, not just in Old Testament days and not just in the church of yesteryear or in the church of tomorrow, but in our life right here and right now. Now, this is where we really, folks, have to apply our faith because we are awesome at being able to come compartmentalize our faith. We can take this faith that we have, this belief that God created the world, uh, that God, God began working in the lives of people to create this holy nation, uh, that God sent his son to redeem all things that both that holy nation and, and the rest of humanity had messed up, and he sends his son into the world to proclaim and provide salvation and atonement for our sins and for their sins, for all time, we can have this belief that God uh, gave birth to the, to, to the church through the working and the power of the Holy Spirit so that people of faith would have not just this, this sustained teaching that's true doctrine or, or true word, but we would have this community of faith that supports each other and nurtures each other and continues the faith tradition from generation to generation. We have the ability to believe all of those things and be able to pass a test that any pastor could give us and make good grades on it. We can take that knowledge and put it in our pocket. And we leave it there from one Sunday to the next. But if we have this happiness that Matthew's talking about, and not just Matthew, mind you, this is the words of Jesus preaching through the writing of Matthew. If we have this happiness that says that, that it's, it's this belief or this, this well-being that has come over us that finds happiness and joy much more than just contentment but over jo uh, joyful uh, uh, jubilation throughout our life in the salvation that the kingdom of God, the saving work of the kingdom of God has come, then we apply that not just to our life, past, present, and future, but to those of us who are around us, to our congregation, to our movement, to our country, to our world. To say, I don't know how he's going to do it, 
but I do believe he is. I don't know why he wants to save me or save, I'm going to say Michelle, but he does. I don't know why God wants to fix all of the broken things in this world, and I don't know how he's going to do it. But do you agree with me that he says he is? And if he says he is, he will, he can, he must. Folks, that is the essence of Christian happiness that Matthew is talking about when he writes the words of Jesus and expresses to the New Testament community and our time and community as an expression of faith. That when Jesus preaches to those who have gathered around him and he begins to teach them the things and the ways in which those who believe and trust in him should believe, he is saying, how happy are you when you live like this, when you believe like that, when you act like this or when you act like that. We're going to go through these really one beatitude at a time in the next coming weeks. But today, it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, that is the center of things that I think really brings together those beatitudes before it and those at the end. But folks, hear me closely. The happiness that God wants to give us is not found in doing things or even believing right things, but rather it's found in knowing Him, trusting Him, and accepting Him at His word. And if we can't know and trust and accept God at his word, we will never, ever, 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 ever find happiness. Oh, we may do things or touch things or taste things that for the moment makes us happy, but it won't last. It in no way will change our life. It'll have zero impact upon us so right in the middle of the beatitudes that's at the beginning of the sermon on the mount jesus says blessed are those who are pure in heart for they shall see god it'd be awesome to have a straw poll right now to say how many of us believe either piece of of that sentence is possible to be pure in heart or to see god well let's let's pick them apart for just a minute so that we hear and understand and are applying this in a correct and consistent way together this morning. Happy are those who are pure in heart. What's that mean? To be clean, to be prepared or appropriate for worship, to be ethically pure, to be free from corruption, to be free from anything else, to be blameless to be innocent, to be unstained by guilt. That's what pure means, right? Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, if we're not careful, we will take out the word pure and insert the word perfect. Can I tell you this morning that throughout all of the Holy Scriptures, the word pure from Genesis to Revelation is used over and over and over and over again. The word perfect is used very, very rarely. But if you grew up in a holiness tradition church, the word perfect was used much more often than the word pure. Now, hear me now. I am a Wesleyan through and through, and we could talk In fact, we can meet in in this room over here later on, and I'll give a great lecture 
on Christian perfection because that was Wesley's preferred terms. Trust me, spare yourself of that lecture. It goes on and on and on and on. I, I, I believe in Christian perfection. But the teaching that Scripture wants us to understand is that purity is the goal for the Christian, but it's the work of God. I can't make myself pure. You can't make me pure. The church who has accepted me as a member, who has baptized me, who has ordained me and allowed me to be a leader in its tradition for years and years and years can't do one thing to make me a pure creature. That is the work of God yesterday, today, and forevermore. I choose to focus on the things that God wants to do and the things that only God can do, and that's purify us, purify me. To make clean, to make pure, to make innocent, to wash away not just the stain of sin, but the, I'm, I'm sorry, not just the guilt of sin, but the stain that sin has left in my life. So when Jesus says, happy are those whose heart is pure, I think I would say to us this morning what he's saying is, blessed are you who have offered your life to God, good, bad, ugly, and otherwise, and allowed him to do the work that only he can do. And allow him to do the work that he really wants to do. Parenthetically, God doesn't mind hearing our prayers about new cars and where we should eat lunch and if it's his will, we should go on vacation or not. But the work that he really longs to do and the prayers that he really wants to answer and hear and dialogue with us is, Lord, I am a sinner. Save me. Change my life. Make me pure. Prepare me to be holy and acceptable in your sight so that I can be used for your glory and I can be an instrument not just today but tomorrow for your use in my life, in my family, in my church, in your world. Those are the prayers. Those are the things that God longs to dialogue with us and wants to hear from us as we pray and ask and turn to him because he and he alone can make us pure, can make us holy, can make us righteous. Blessed or happy are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, don't raise your hand, but I suspect no one in this room has ever seen God. Oh, I know you've seen pictures in Wikipedia of him probably. And some of you probably are still bringing your kid's Bible to church with you, and there are pictures of God in that Bible. I can tell you with authority that's not what he looks like. But I haven't seen him either. So the application or the teaching here that Jesus is saying is much different than having this image or this picture of God. What does it mean to see God? Not just to see him with our eyes, but to know him, to experience him, to look to him. Isn't that one of the greatest ways to express our faith? Is to say, Lord, I, I haven't seen you, and I have not heard in an audible way from you, but I trust you. And I'm committed to following you and allowing you to lead me wherever you want to lead me as you witness to my spirit and your spirit and I witness to your spirit that I belong to you and you belong to me happy are those whose heart is pure for they shall see 
God. It's a prerequisite to being able to experience and see and look towards God. It really gives great commentary on our overuse of the word experience in church today. Not just this church, but the American church in general, who is obsessed with the idea of experiencing things. But it has more to do with the entertainment factor than it does with the Holy Spirit that moves in upon us and witnesses to our spirit and speaks to us that we are precious, created in his image to be used for his glory and in need of his salvation and purifying, sanctifying work into our lives. We can't experience God in some form of entertainment until we have experienced him in his fullness, witnessing to our spirit and longing to work in our lives. Exactly what we heard in the Isaiah passage that Michelle read earlier this morning. Isaiah, who is a prophet and probably the son of a prophet, who had prophesied for hundreds of years that God was about to judge Israel, and he did, and then was going to judge Judah, and he was about to under the prophetic ministry of Isaiah. And Isaiah likely was saying some of the same things he had heard his father say or, or maybe other prophets say. And in a time of great grief and And inward looking, as the king had died, Isaiah turns to the Lord. We have that beautiful passage that Michelle read that that when I hear that, it begins to really make me happy. Because I'm reminded not just of the way God worked in Isaiah's life, but the way in which he's worked in my life. The way that he consistently wants to work in your life. But in Isaiah chapter 6, not only do we get that image of God touching through an angel touching his lips and making him clean. And Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. We have God giving him the message to go and prophesy and tell the bad news in the light of those who are wanting and seeking to hear good news or experiences of God. It's not just about what God is doing in that sense. It's the way in which God is transforming Isaiah from being a prophet who speaks what he's heard other people say, even his own father, into someone who now speaks what God says to him and gives the message that God gives to them. And folks, this is not just for prophets or preachers. It's for all people of faith who are in great need of God to change the way in which we talk about the working of God and the, and the promises of God in our life before we know him and now after we know him. To find those happy words and those joyful words that God has come and God is coming again and God is continually and constantly at work. And we will only find happiness when we turn to God and allow him to purify our heart so that we may see him in his fullness and be touched by him in our mouths and in our hearts and in our souls to be made pure and right and holy and appropriate for his work now and for tomorrow. Real happiness is not found in getting, giving, finding, or chasing anything that appears to or promises to give us a moment of happiness. But real happiness is only possible by giving up on life and getting in on what God is doing in us and through us for his glory. He is shaping us and making us new creatures in Christ so that living purely is our hope and joy, both inwardly and outwardly. The happiness that we most often seek in this world has to do with the way we feel on the outside and maybe just a little 
a little bit under the first layer of skin. But the happiness that God wants to give, that God longs to give and do in our life, begins deep within our soul and bubbles its way out of our life. So that when people meet us, they won't think that we're great. They'll see the greatness of God that's in us that has turned our life of sadness and our, our, our life of, of soul searching upside down and turn it into a life of utter joy to be used and spoken for the glory of God now and forevermore. Amen. I, I know this was Valentine's week and uh, this was something that, that uh, some of us gave some of us received a gift this week. And when we think about happiness, uh, I would say that sometimes the first thing we think of is getting a gift. So what you ask your kids at Christmas, what do they like about Christmas? The gifts, right? And there's some not-so kids in this room that would say the same thing. What's your favorite part about Christmas? The gifts. What's your favorite part about birthdays? The gifts. What's your favorite part about what? The gifts. Give me gifts because they make me happy. And they give me that thing that I think might possibly make me happy or entertained for just a moment. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the fact that, that someone has given you a gift. As you leave this morning, I want you to think about a box. You don't know who gave it to you. You don't know what's inside of it. You don't even really know what it's for. It's just a gift. It's just a box. Now, we see it and, and we first might think, oh boy, I, I'm a little bit nervous about what might be inside of that box. But we get past that pretty quick and we begin to think and our, our imagination runs wild. Some of us in this room go, ooh, it's jewelry. Ooh, it's chocolate. Ooh, it's the perfect size box for a set of car keys. Ooh, maybe there's a credit card inside of it with no limit. I, I don't know. I, I could keep going on with things. But we, our imagination begins to, to run wild. It's probably there that we could then begin to think and analyze in a truthful moment what we think makes us happy. Is it that jewelry? Is it that chocolate? Is it that credit card? Is it those car keys? Because that would be our surface response to a gift that someone's given us. We don't know what it is. We don't know where it came from. We don't know who gave it. We just have a gift. We have a box. With the promise that something is inside of the box. But what if I told you that inside the box that every one of us have this morning, we hold a box that has God on the inside of the box. So the gift came from God. It's, it's the gift of himself. And he's given it not just to me or to John Snyder or to certain people in the church, but he's given the same gift to everybody in this room. And truthfully, he's got a box for anybody that we know. To give them the same exact box. So there's no jealousy and no one got a better box or a better God than someone else got. Same box, same gift, same source, same God. And I would tell you that 
if you open up the box, you need to be prepared for a couple of things. Number one, in this box is truly the source of happiness. Not just for today, but forever. It won't expire, it won't go bad. It won't become something that we outgrow or that needs to be maintained or breaks down. It will be consistent. It will be constant. It will be there. It will be eternal. That's the way God is, folks. And it will make us happy every day of our life. This gift, this thing, this relationship. But in the same way that I would tell you that this box, if open, will make you eternally happy, I must tell you this box, if, hope, if open, that in making you happy will also cause you some trouble. Because if opened and let loose, God will work in the depths of our lives in ways that we've never thought or wanted. God will begin to deal with issues in our life that we have buried and denied and even deceived over. God will want to fix relationships in the right now that are broken and separating us from people. God will want to build character in us so that some of the decisions we have tomorrow, next week, and next month will not really be decisions because we will already decided by the nature of our relationship with him what we're going to do or what we should do. God will want to take some of our gifts that we've been reserving personally for our own glory, our own spare time, our own happiness, and use them for his glory, for his church, for the salvation of people. If opened, this box which will make us happy, this gift which will make us happy, the box does not make us happy, will also cause us some danger. Because that's what being pure is about. It's about being made right in the eyes of God, by the grace of God, for the glory of God, among the people of God. Blessed are those whose heart is pure. Happy are those whose heart is pure, for they shall see God. And the only way that we are made pure, and the only way that we will see God, folks, is if we open up the box that has been given to us and let God out into our life. God's active and present in our world everywhere we go and everything we do. We don't have to invite him to be there. He's there. But we do have to allow him to work in our life in ways he wants to work. And we will only be happy in our pursuit of all things when we set aside our attention and our obsession on getting things and accumulating things and going places and just for a moment deal with the things that God wants to deal with in our life. Stop playing, church. Stop playing, Christian. Stop playing good boy or good girl and let God speak deep into our life what is good, what is right, what is whole, and what is happy for those who trust in him. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. I, I believe too often we, as preachers, will preach through Scripture that we've thought about all week long and throw a lot of things out, and we move immediately to pray and sing without giving us time to let the Holy Spirit speak in, to us. 
I don't, I don't want our mind and attention to move right into a song right now. There's going to be a song. But I want you to ask yourself just this one question. What is it that makes me happy? What's happiness to me? If, folks, if you ask yourself that question and, and really come to an honest answer, God will take over from there. You don't have to do anything else. He'll begin to speak to you about finding true happiness, real happiness, all happiness for those who trust in him. Commit myself to thee, O Lord. All that I have, I give to thee, O Lord. Take my life, my will, my everything, O Lord. together this morning prayer is not about listening to one who prays perfectly up front or poetically next to you prayer is about dialoguing with God you could hear a much better sermon on being happy and walk away and say that's good information and it has no impact on you spiritually it's only when we honestly dialogue with God and say, God, your words are truth. Put truth deep within me. Change me, cleanse me, purify me so that I may see you and sense you and walk in your glory in all that I do and in everywhere that I go. It's only when we commit and confess and repent and put our lives on display for the Lord, for him to take and cleanse and put real happiness 
in our soul. Nothing that we can find or buy or steal or borrow or stumble on, but something that only God can give to us, and he wants to. Let's pray this morning, and whatever you have answered deep in your soul about what makes you happy, I would challenge you, if it is not full with the goodness of God, if that answer is not centered on what brings God glory and the way in which God wants and wills to work in our lives, confess that. Ask God to change it. Cry out before the Lord and say, I I don't want my way, I want your way. I don't want to find happiness in that thing that I've tasted or touched or accumulated or put my hands around or whatever, experienced. I want to find my happiness in you. And you know what? God is waiting, waiting to hear a prayer like that and act from heaven. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for this day. This is the day that you've made just like every other day. But Lord, on this day, a Sabbath day, a holy day, a day of rest, and a day of contemplation, Lord, we have opened up our souls for you to speak and ask that your Holy Spirit would search us over and over and over again to sense where you want to work and need to work and must work in our life. Not only for us to be able to make it and redefine how we experience or pursue happiness in our life but Lord we need and long for you to work in our life so that our marriage and our family and our church and our communities will be whole because that doesn't happen with the the waving of a wand it happens through the conversion and the sanctifying of a people so Lord purify our hearts so that we may see you and in our seeing you Lord we may follow We may imitate, we may acknowledge, we may display the glory of God everywhere we go and in all that we do. Lord, we don't ask for you to just clean us up. We ask that you would complete your work by purifying us, removing the guilt and the sin and the stain of yesterday and even today and tomorrow. Work within us, Lord, we pray. Lord, for the one who is here this morning so burdened by the conflict of life or the weight of life, Lord. Lord, I I pray that you would would speak through that weight and that, that discouragement to get to the issue of their soul and of their eternal worth in you. Lord, being happy in you, finding happiness in you does not remove the troubles of this world. They'll still be there. But it gives us a new way to look at those troubles. And a new way, Lord, to pursue you in the midst of those troubles. Answer the prayers prayed here today. Cleanse the hearts buried before you today. Lord, empower us to commit our ways to you. And all that we are and all that we will ever do, Lord, will be done for you and for your glory. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Don. I don't know about you guys, but my happiness is when I can say at the end of the day that all is well with my soul because I have the Lord who saves and who makes us happy. 
I feel uh, led to explain to you who we are um, this morning. If you just showed up for the first time, we're so glad that you're with us. We welcome you. Um, We would love to know more about you. You have a communication card you can fill out and take to this table right behind the sound booth. We would love to hear from you. Um, I am Pastor Michelle. I'm the care pastor here. This is Pastor Don. He used to be a senior pastor at another Nazarene church until God called him into a a different ministry, and he is now with Arrow Ministry, which is an orphan sex slave freeing ministry and uh, he fills in um, right now we are in between senior pastors but we don't believe that God rests with the senior pastor we believe that God is here every Sunday and so I am one of three other pastors that preach and Don and Don preaches um, sometimes too so just wanted to explain a bit a little bit about who we were um, two Sundays from now are church board elections if you are a member of this church we would we need you to vote. Um, the board is made up of, I think, 12 people in our church, um, and they are the people that make decisions um, for our church along with the pastors. And so I don't know if you, you knew that, but we vote on all of us that are members. We vote on those people who make up the leadership in this church. So if you are a member of this church, please show up to vote. It takes three minutes, literally. It's going to be March 2nd, before and after church. So having said that really quick, we're also having membership lunch next Sunday afternoon. It explains who we are, what we believe, and then you will have an opportunity to become a member. Some people bristle when they hear membership because they think it's elitist or country clubist or whatever, or they think that we're going to have their tithe direct deposited uh, into our bank account, but that is not how it works. There are three benefits um, that come with being a member, and and it's a commitment, accountability, and community. You've heard us talk a lot about community. When you're a member of a church, first of all, you commit to Christ and you commit to each other that you are going to pray for each other. You're going to love each other. You're going to serve each other. And you're just going to be a body of believers. And that is really what it's about. And when we commit to something, we tend to stick to it a lot more than if we don't commit to it. So um, that's just really what it, what it is. And it, it's not any kind of magic wand or any kind of elite status and Uh, It's just belonging to a body of believers and making that commitment to Christ and to each other. Um, Pastor Don? Yeah. Thank you, Michelle. Think about those things, and if you have other questions, uh, feel free to. uh, There's a welcome center in the back with very capable people to answer probably every question you could ever think of. And uh, so feel free to dialogue with them or with Pastor Michelle uh, about uh, deeper information about that. I pray that this would be the happiest day, the happiest week of our lives. And that's God's prayer for us too. So let me give us a benediction as we go this morning under the power and the authority of God. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you this morning. Go in the peace of Christ Jesus. You are dismissed.